We've had so many incredible questions come in, there wasn't enough time for us to answer all the questions in one service. So we've split the questions to be answered between two services. You're currently watching No Place Like Home Q&A panel part one. A brief overview of where we have been so far on the screen week one. We did No Place Like Home, Pastor Cindy spoke. Uh, week two, we talked about love and marriage. That was Pastor Marshall. Uh, week three, we talked about celebrating singleness, how singleness is not a second-class citizen. Single people are not uh, second-class citizens in the body of Christ, but they've been elevated by the New Testament uh, to be equal with married people. Uh, week four, we talked about family matters. That was a panel that we did last week on uh, parenting. And this week, week number five, is Q&A Sunday. And so uh, we hope that in the series, we been encouraging you guys to be thinking of good questions to ask. Uh, we continually brought up this phone number that if you had questions, you could text. Number, a number of you did uh, that. Thank you so much for doing it. But um, the series is really, we're not working to just talk about the theology of relationships, right? We're working to really be practical in talking about how we would relate to one uh, another. Uh, of course, honoring God and helping us become all that God created us to be. And we're not talking about, I, I want you to know this, we're not talking about just earthly family. Throughout the series, we've worked really hard to talk about what uh, we've been, we've been yeah. calling our spiritual family, right? The brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, right? The people that maybe you're sitting next to right now, the the, the spiritual mothers, spiritual fathers, spiritual brothers and sisters and sons and daughters. And so again, it's Q&A Sunday. We have done where we have texted in questions. Of course, that's the number 702-4778. Uh, people have texted in questions throughout. Um, another way we can do it is uh, it's still not too late to text in a question. So if you have a question even now that you've been meaning to ask, you feel like there's an area we didn't cover, I realize that it's kind of a little tricky because some questions when it comes to relationships can feel kind of personal and you're probably not asking a question about like knowing when it's time to leave your spouse, right? If they're next to you. And so it's probably a little bit of a challenge to ask questions in a real practical way when it comes to relationships. So we understand that. And so maybe if you'd even be, you could think of something that not, it's not necessarily where you're at, but maybe it's even something that you think that we haven't covered. And you know that you have some friends that, that maybe we want to talk about this or that. We would love for you guys to still text in a question. It's anonymous. So nobody knows who did what. And the third way is this, is that we have David Goldman over here. This is the bravest of all is, uh, we have him and he has a wireless mic. And so some of of you, if you maybe maybe you thought of a question as we're going through, you can just raise your hand and we'll come over to you uh, with the mic and you can ask the question live in the microphone. Uh, and so that was my idea. And so you guys would really help me out if at least one or two of you would do that. So try to be thinking of a good question uh, as we as we just we go through. Uh, so we're gonna tell we're gonna tell you everything that we know, but we're not gonna tell you everything that there is to know. You know what I mean? Like, we're going to tell you everything that we've learned, but we're not going to tell you everything that probably you have to learn yeah. in your relationships. Um, and everything that we say might not necessarily be right, but we're very confident 
everything, we're very confident about it. everything that we lack in insight, we make up with confidence. But of course, of course, it's, especially in a context like this, you know, we're, we're just going to be sharing with what we've learned in our lives, in our parenting, in our relationships. Um, and so we're hoping that this doesn't have to be something that's real formal, but just something that's relaxed and kind of like a conversation uh, that we're having. Uh, a few guidelines here is this, we're working to keep it a practical series, right? So we're not wanting to get into deep theology, doctrinal issues, you know, what's up with this? Like, here's a, here's a question that we're not going to answer. What is up with this culture's definition of marriage? Like, you know, what's up with, in the Bible, all of these godly men that have a hundred wives? We're not getting into any of that kind of stuff, right? We're talking about how, um, how God would have us do our relationships in the real world. Okay, uh, and so we should talk about the panel. Pastor Mar- you may have seen these people before. Pastor Marshall, Pastor Cindy, is my beautiful wife, Jordan, uh, and I'm David, and so we're just gonna kinda bounce back and forth um, and do it again. Text in the questions to that number if you have any, and if you have something that you feel like maybe we've left out, we would adore you forever if you raised your hand. Okay, so uh, we're gonna go through, here's some questions that we have received throughout the weeks, and then you guys, you all have mics, right? So everyone just jump in whenever you're ready. Okay, here's the first question. Uh, Beyond prayer, how do you help unruly or rebellious teens choose God, and how do you deal with rebellious behavior? We should have had my parents answer this question. (laughs) I'm still learning. I'm still learning. I wonder if you guys have some insight here, because I'm still uh, learning our rebellion looks like screaming instead of sleeping. And going where she shouldn't. Yeah. That's Mm -hmm. it. And she doesn't understand no, so we're not very helpful there. Right. That's probably not what this is talking about as much, huh? I'm thinking if you're the parent that wrote this question and you have a a teenager, you're thinking about bringing Old Testament law back. Under Old Testament law, you just stoned them and it was over with. Yeah. Uh, But that's not the day in the covenant. And thank you, Jesus Maybe we should ask this. Uh, David can be the first one. How many of you guys were ever rebellious? Ah. Okay, whoever asked this question, I hope that gives you hope. (laughs) Um, I just would say this. Um, Number one, nobody has more experience dealing with rebellious children than God himself. God himself has more rebellious kids than anybody on the planet. And so I think we can always go to him. And and I I know the question says beyond prayer, and there are things to do beyond prayer, but don't skip prayer. Don't Don't skip it. Just don't skip it. Because we, we're going to need the help of Father who has the most experience and the most patience and long-suffering. We're going to need all of that on our behalf to deal with what's in our house. Yeah, Hannah, can I get you to bring me that little notebook there? I failed to bring it up with me. I think, you know, again, it's a big, broad subject. And we're not, again, it's not even our attempt to be exhaustive on a lot of this. Some of... Uh, your questions are going to be answered in counseling, times of counseling, and, and uh, visiting face-to-face with uh, people who may, f- may have faced what you're facing with children. Uh, I like to begin by just making certain we're talking about the same thing. We're, we're talking about someone who's rebellious, a child who's rebellious. 
or someone who's just strong-willed. Now, I think a child who's strong-willed can become a rebellious child, a teenager, even into adulthood, if what the Bible calls foolishness is not somehow driven out of a child's heart. I just, I think it's real important for parents who have children or have concerns and are really facing up against the wall when it comes to a child who's truly rebellious is, is really try, and prayer is a big part of that, but really again, try to find what, what's causing that on the ins, inside of, of them. And again, there can be a number of different issues that really cause a, um, a child of ours to be um, painfully uh, rebellious. Sometimes it, it's, it's, it can be a, a fear that torments them that takes the shape of rebellion. And so I would want to know how to minister to the fear, Pastor David. I would not just want to beat a child until I couldn't beat the child anymore or say no to a child until I couldn't say no anymore or to to try to be creative enough to try finally find a way that may curb the rebellion before I ask the question, why is this child of mine acting this way? Now, again, the the general... uh, Understanding is we're all coming to, we're born into sin. And so there's that nature issue with us. Unless we deal with it, it's going to just grow. But beyond that, there are things that torment our children. There are things that confuse our children. There are things, uh, examples. I wondered how many of you who raised your hand said, I had an issue with rebellion. How many of you are raising rebellious children? Because of just the example that we set. Now that's not always the case. So don't text in a, a mean comment. I wasn't saying... No comments, no only comments, questions. Just questions. I wasn't saying that because you have a rebellious child, it means you're rebellious. But you, you're looking for, prayerfully looking for the reason why a child might be uh, rebellious. And begin to deal with that a little bit. I think just some of that loving attention might head off some of that. Not all of it, but might head off a big part, a big part of that. Yeah. Uh, just one thing, and I know we need to move fast, but I, I've really been struck, even in my own personal devotional time, just, just the concept of what, what we see in Jesus, kind of the order that he has when he has interactions with people, that I've found that the order almost always tends to be step one, embrace, step two, confront. And for me, I just think, you know, you think about Mark chapter one, right? The leper comes to Jesus. And what's the first thing that he does, right? The Bible says he touches him. And then after he touches him, he cleanses him, right? And I think the order is really important. And so for me, I actually haven't had, I guess I have had some interactions where I'm talking to parents who have rebellious kids, but I've got five times as many times where I'm talking to the rebellious kids about their parents, you know, and so, so for me, I, I think the, the percentage of kids that are kind of acting up, whatever that classic definition would be in their teenage years, if you were to ask them, like, well, well what do you think your parents think about you? I mean, hardly ever is it something like, oh, they, they love me and they're really, you know, they just want me to be, like, th- it tends to be there's this, this time when kids are rebellious that they start questioning the embrace of their parents. And so I think, I think that something that's really important for me uh, growing up is that, is that 
no matter what my kid would do, right, that they, that they have this deep sense of my embrace for them. Not what they're doing, but just who they are as a human being. And so I, I would think, you know, it's so easy when a kid's acting up that you just focus on that piece and it just becomes um, confronting only and the embracing has a way of falling by the wayside. So strengthen that embrace piece and I think you might be amazed how... Um, how open they can be to confronting if it's from this posture of feeling deeply um, embraced and loved by you. Right. Just really quick that, to add to that, something that, you know, we were joking, we don't have much experience this, with this, but in youth ministry, we did see some things. And I would say this, don't underestimate the environment your teenager is in. They are in school most of their days. And I think sometimes we discount the amount of time we're actually in a church building and teenagers who were consistently in church, whether with their family or in youth group, they started to build connection and they started to be in an environment that was positive around other people who were positive. And we underestimate the amount of time they send in school or around kids in sports versus the amount of time they're around other believers in the church. And that's just a piece, but it's more valuable than we realize because if they're around peers who are behaving well or are encouraging them, they're not getting that a ton in their schools. And we all know that. So we need to put value on the environment they're in and how much time they're actually in that environment and at home too. But, but I think we underestimate that piece. Um, they spend so much time in a harsher environment. So good. So good. good. Can I, can I say this? No, you already went. I'm just kidding. No, you can go again. (laughs) One turn. I'm kidding. No, it's good. I, I think in current culture, um, in the world that anytime any of us get corrected, we feel rejected. And, um, and it's easy, we talked a little bit about this last week, but it's easy to, to push against any correction because we feel like if we're being corrected over a behavior that we're being rejected as a person. So I think it's very important at home, and this is with rebellious kids or between mom and dad or, or siblings, it's important that what David spoke of, that we, we're confident and we're secure in the fact that we're loved. We, we say this around here all the time. We are deeply loved and graced by God. And we are. We're deeply loved by God. And our behavior never threatens that love. Be sure that we're communicating that with one another at home. I love you. And nothing you ever do is going to alter that love. And when I correct you, I still love you. But sometimes our tone and our, our demeanor, uh, in fact, if those of us from older generations, we actually were sort of, it sort of got modeled to us that if, if we weren't doing the right thing, that affection was withheld. And, and God doesn't do that. And so it's, it's something we may have to unlearn and learn differently. That I, no matter what you do, I'm going to love you, but you're still not going to do that in this house. Uh, and one isn't the opposite of the other. Yeah. 
Do we have a live question? We ha- guys, we have so many. Oh, it's I incredible. love you guys. We're okay. very proud of You're you. You're so good. <laughs> right okay. now, this is amazing. Adore you so, all. Hopefully, because we had a couple questions that actually came in good. Um, that we're talking about um, how to bring your kids back into the church um, that had maybe left or that had had a Christian that was a bad example. Hopefully, what we were just talking about answered some of Got those it. questions, That's right? Good. Talking Smart. about embracing first and Smart. loving first. So I'm just trying to, to group the questions because we yeah. have so, so many. But don't let that discourage you. Keep it up. Keep sending the questions in because we definitely yeah. want to find a way Good. to answer them. Yes. Real quick, I actually have someone that wanted to ask you guys a question. They're very brave. Oh, I'm so glad. My name is Jennifer, and this is my husband. And we have um, four kids and the fifth one on the way. And it's easier to talk to our children than it is to talk to each other sometimes. <laughs> so I was wondering if you had a scripture that him and I might be able to say to each other or say together before we talk to each other about things that make us angry or that we're displeased with. Mm, beautiful. And so that's you and your cousin, right? Is that right? Did you, or say that no. again? Husband. Okay, I thought I heard cousin. My cousin. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, that really opens it up. I was trying to think of cousin-specific scripture. Okay, husband, yeah. James, James chapter 1 comes, uh, comes to mind. Uh, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Uh, there's also a verse. I wish I could just get you the chapter and the verse. That's my death. Um, easy to find in a concordance. A soft answer turns away wrath from Proverbs. Um, Shirley, did you know where that was? Sorry. Proverbs 15, 15. 1. Beautiful. Thank you, Shirley. So, um, um, you want to give me that? Technology, two-edged sword. <laughs> um, just looking into one another's eyes, knowing that you're, uh, even though your approach might be a little bit different, uh, how you handle things in your relationship, you're a team. Your husband-wife yeah. team, you're, you're going to pull for the ultimate good for your children, um, whatever shape that ends up taking between you. Uh, looking each other in the eye, speaking softly, like Cindy said, reaffirming your love to each other, however that might happen, goes a long way to prepare the ground for talking about the tough stuff or how you're going to train up your children or anything else that matters in your household. And that's probably the hardest thing to do, but it's the must thing you have to do, is make sure you pull together, affirm your love to each other, and speak to each other in uh, soft words. If it starts to escalate, just pull back a little bit, take a minute, come back together, try to finish the conversation. Uh, I think that, that has helped us through, through, through the years. Yeah. Excellent. You're going to see it different, husband and wife. You're going to see, especially things with the kids. You got four kids and one on the way. Don't let them divide and conquer you. <laughs> Don't let them do it. Don't let them. They'll tr- they're going to try it. They're going to pit you one against the other. And so, so get together apart from them and get, get an agreement uh, and present a united front. Uh, and, and, and even though I've already said something. Uh... <laughs> Uh, and this is not heavy theology. This really is very common, especially when the, the first baby comes, is that we tend to make the baby, because of the demands and needs, the central figure in the family. And it's a mistake going forward, not just for the couple, but for the child. The child always needs and will always need, regardless of how old the child uh, gets before leaving your house, uh, needs to, the security 
of the two of you together. And God is the center, of course. Then you two come. And then any additions, four additions, five on the way. Five, the number of grace. Wow. More grace to this couple of God. In Jesus' name, amen. But just, just keep what's central, central. And you'll give, you're very, you'll end up providing the absolute best for those children along the way. Beautiful. Beautiful. Can we keep going? Yeah. Okay. We can keep going. So maybe you guys can just talk a little bit, um, because I think this kind of flows into the next one. Um, this person is saying, the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Uh, a baby can bring in a lot of complication into a relationship and there's a lot of other complications in relationships. Um, how do you resolve conflict and what does that look like in your life? Anybody? Well, gosh. Okay. So yeah, for us, we don't have nearly the experience, although we have, I guess we have a decade of it as a married couple, but you know, for, for us, I, I really think as something that we all probably work on for the rest of our lives, right? I, I, almost like <laughs> this is a good topic of something I definitely don't feel to be the expert on, but maybe nobody does. You know, for Jordan and I, we, we really, we, I, we have gotten a lot, um, a lot farther in some of our discussions, whatever that would be, in that we have learned to set some kind of ground rules that when emotions flare, I think if, if we can remember the things that we have gr- agreed upon, it can stop us from going places that we don't want to go. So uh, for us, we, we, one thing that we value is we always want to talk in a calm tone to each other, right? We, we don't want to raise our voices. Of course, we never never name call, um, a number of these different things, but, but we hold each other accountable even when the tempers uh, rise and we're discussing something, you know, and I think that, that kind of helps us because uh, c- oftentimes we'll look back at a conversation that we had and we're just horrified about like, and then it was about this tiny little thing and then it turned into this, but you, you know, the you never statements, right? You never listen to me. Oh, wow, never, wow. You know, and, and it just ends up going a place that you don't want to go. But for us, if we can talk when, when our heads are calm and we're in a place of forgiveness and love and unity and we can decide, you know, in the future, let's not do that. Like, let's, let's, let's just agree that right now we're, the goal is going to be this, is that we always, um, we always, we, we touch and we're, we're careful and we're, uh, we're cautious with our words and we're calm with our tones. And so for us, one thing that's really helped for us is kind of laying some ground rules back when you're good, because that's the last thing that you want to do when, when you're arguing. But, um, sometimes it's, it's been a, a big difference for us, you know, laying some ground rules. We've also learned that sometimes you do have to take a break. Totally. You have to say enough is enough for now and go your separate ways in terms of just maybe go to separate rooms or something just so that you can get a calm, cool head on the subject. Because there tends to be when emotions flare and um, that's more me than him. Um, I have to take a break and I have to get a clear head and I think that is how you deal with those situations. And that's even more important now having a a child is we have to take a break. We have to, to realize that what's happening here is important. Um, but it has to happen in a way that's calm. It has to happen in a way that's productive and not in a way that's just about how I feel right now. Um, because sometimes how I feel right now is not right. 
um, it's wrong. And if that's what I'm feeling, then that's what I'm communicating instead of what I know to be true. And so taking a break is not wrong. Walking away for a few minutes is not wrong. You have to do it in the right way, but it goes along with those ground rules. Like we've set time limits. We can only go this long and then we have to walk away and say, okay, we'll come back and we'll try this again. I just think that let's not get literally hung up on don't let the sun go down upon your wrath and insist that nobody's going to bed till we figure this out. um, I'm a morning person. By 8.30, I'm no good for a complicated discussion here. It's it's not going to go well. And I also think we... we, we need to be careful with our reactions. Today, it's, it's, it's easy. We're, we're actually being encouraged in the spirit of this world to, to explode uh, with words or with physical actions of anger and throwing things or slamming stuff down or slamming out of the house. And, and there's nothing productive there's, there's no pathway forward with that behavior. And some of us grew up in households that that's how anger was expressed and managed. And now we're in the household of faith, and we really need to ask God to help us express our anger or disgust or disagreement in a, in a way that can move us forward. That isn't just about me winning the argument or me being right or me getting to express everything. And so we may have to learn some new ways of communicating that. And there are ways to do that that will be much more helpful and productive and not harmful to another person in our household and not harmful to to the relationship. And if you find yourself there, ask for some help. Seriously, ask for some help. Maybe that's what you grew up with and you just need a different pattern uh, to be shown to you to how, to, how to get there. Yeah, just to add to what they, they said, I, again, I'm, I'm looking more for something, um, haven't always been this way, still have a lot of room for improvement, but I'm looking for what's preventative in the first place. The last thing I want to do is be reactionary. I want to be proactive in whatever I'm trying to build or establish. And, you know, if you're just flying off the handle, again, a comment is made, you didn't really hear what was said or you thought you heard uh, what was said a different way. Amazing to me how something can change when it leaves someone's lips and gets to your ears in between. And so I think the first part is just be real thoughtful, not just quick to react. But, But if I'm looking for something that's preventative, then I, I am looking how to communicate better just day after day along the way. Instead of doing like a, a number of us do, we kind of save it up. Men are typically a little bit more to save it up. And then when they do talk about it, it's really not a talk. We just, we just blast. Uh, you know, it's just, it, we just spill. And, uh, and then you've got to clean that up and try to get back to a place where you can begin a good conversation uh, about it. Uh, many of us who are men, we tend to, we say we're thoughtful, but we're sulkers. And we just kind of go off and we just let it build and build and build. Instead of just even talking about it 
a few minutes at a time here, a few minutes along the way, learning how to communicate with your mate along the way. And then when these big issues come up or anger shows up, you've already built a pretty good foundation of what it means to really talk to one another or to understand one another, a better one anyway. And then you can deal with the big deal uh, when, it, when it comes. Cindy's much quicker to want to talk about something than I've ever, ever been. And we, we've, I think we find that balance in our life by just talking about it as we go. Instead of waiting until the volcano erupts and then we've got clean up. And then, then we've got to climb up. And so, you know. I try to keep it a one issue at a time. Let's not go for world peace. <laughs> Right. So good. Yeah. So good. Clearly, we're a, a household of preachers. We need to move, don't we? David Goldman. <laughs> hopefully, that was, um, well, not hopefully, that was very helpful. And hopefully, more than you ever um, wanted to know. <laughs> hopefully, uh, you guys can really glean some very practical advice from this. The, the next two questions that we have are, are similar, but they're um, both very important. So I wanted to, to voice them differently. It's diving in a little bit further into how to, um, how to speak to your spouse, but both very good questions. The first one is, um, how do you deal with a spouse who, offered, excuse me, who often offers others my time or services um, when I haven't agreed? Good luck. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. You're just going to have to tell them not to do that. Yeah. We, I think that's, uh, um, we, make, we make jokes because we deal with new young couples and we see them do things and we just say, ooh, rookie mistake. You, and I think, I think uh, committing, committing to the other person is a mistake that I think we've, we've all learned one way or another that, that you know, Jordan is, especially as a married person, I mean, she's the other half of me, but she's still her own person, right? And so she still has her own sets of priorities. She still has her own energy. And so for, that's something that's true for me and Jordan, because I am, I'm a, I'm a social butterfly in a lot of ways. And I am not. And she's not, right? <laughs> and so she doesn't have the same probably relational energy that I do, because I'm good to, I'm good to hang out right here, right now, you know, from now until this weekend, like I'm, I'm good to hang out all the time, but I'm, I'm learning that Jordan's a very different person. And so I, I will never say, God, that sounds great. We'll be there. I just can't do that. Right. I I can, I can say, I would love to, let me talk uh, with my wife about it. Um, and so even, and then when I talk, I don't even commit myself most of the time because that I'm taking from our time together. Right. But I will oftentimes, if Jordan and I talk about something, I'll say, so there's the party are you at all interested in that? And she can say, not particularly. And she can say, but love for you to go. And I'll say, perfect. Okay. So then I can say, Jordan's not gonna be able to make it, but I'm so excited. Can I bring anything? Whatever, whatever. But yeah, learning, learning to just not do that, I think is probably the key. Always talk about it. Quit it. Right. I mean, (laughs) the simplest thing I can say is always talk about it. It's a real fast road to resentment. And you, you just, I don't care how you try to cover it, cover it with kindness but it reads disrespect uh, to your mate, and maybe they don't, they're, they don't, they're not quick to feel that or experience that, but that's where that road travels to. And so again, it's a matter of uh, not just knowing your mate beforehand, but always not assuming anything. And don't presume anything. I mean, even though you say, I just know my husband would love to pitch in, sure, I'll tell him, uh, what time do you want him there? You don't do that. 
you don't. And, and you, you say, well, okay, I, I think I know he, sh- he would like to do this or be involved, but I'm going to ask him or I'm going to go talk to him about it. Let me get back to you. Just don't assume, don't presume your intentions are great, but the outcome is going to be really poor if you uh, sign your made up uh, for community work. And that's true for close friendships, too. I, I mean, I've seen it happen in friendships, too, where they just assume, yeah, I'll get some guys together, and then, you know, before you know it, they've, they've then, you, you know, because if I say yes, I'm, fo- I'm forced to make Jordan look like the bad guy. Another thing that I don't do is I don't, if they say, hey, you guys want to go bowling, I don't turn to Jordan and say, what do you think? In front of them, right? Because then she's faced to either say yes or be the bad guy. She's right? never going to say yes to that. <laughs> bowling? bowling. She's, a, she's a pretty good bowler. I actually she might say yes to bowling. that, but I don't want to say yes or no in front of you. Right. right. I want to so, say yes or anyways, no Anyways, just learn quietly. some of those things. It's a challenge. Okay. Continuing? Yeah. Um, that was great, and uh, hopefully they can use some of the practical things from having conversation before into that so yeah, they know exactly absolutely. how to voice that. Um, this one is, again, very, very important. Um, how do you deal with the spouse's alcohol addiction when it's affecting the whole family? Mm. Wow. You guys go. Yeah, that's probably going to drop that's drop to me um, because Cindy's such a, such a drinker. <laughs> Now, Diet that's Coke. not true, Diet Coke. <laughs> but I, I was raised up in a home where my father, uh, as most of you in, in the church family know, uh, was an alcoholic. And uh, it was the way, again, he covered his uh, pain uh, and dealt with his pain. It was the drug of his day. And uh, results were the same. A lot of stress on uh, his marriage, on family life, on all of, all of us. Uh, but I watched what my mom mom did in that. Um, specifically, Goldman, tell me again what the question is. I don't want to, I just want to specifically uh, sure. try to address the point. Um, I need to go back and find it. Yeah. It was uh, something along the lines of um, how do you deal with a spouse or communicate with a spouse when their alcoholism is affecting the family? Yeah. Um, again, mom was a great example. Of course, she was a wonderful uh, Christian woman. Uh, very strong in, in prayer. And again, you've got to preface this thing uh, with prayer. Don't try everything else and then pray. Pray first and watch what builds. Uh, uh, you just open your heart to God's help, God's instruction, God's grace. But she would, she would uh, clearly confront him, and she confronted him in a number of different ways uh, in trying not only to help him personally, which was, again, very important because she wasn't trying to win an argument. She was trying to help my father. So she was trying to figure out why he hurt and why in his hurt and his pain he would turn to alcohol. So she would really work at talking with him about that. Most of those conversations didn't take place before any of the children. We never overheard anything. We were never a part of that. Those were private conversations, and uh, uh, rightly so. And so she just, in fact, she really protected... um, him, uh, she, I, I taught on this one Sunday years ago on Father's Day, but she kept a place for him in the home by prayer instead of kicking him out of that place. And so she just always through prayer and through trying to help him on a personal level. And then as we got older, she, uh, she began to talk with us a little bit to get our aid or to get our help in helping him instead of viewing him as just an alcoholic 
and he's doing the wrong thing, don't you ever do it. She really tried to enlist the help of the older boys into uh, getting him free from uh, his, his alcohol. She did whatever she could to protect us, um, including uh, trying to, he, he, he shot a gun off in our house one, one night. We were just across the hall, three feet across the hall. And it went through the wall and went into our wall in our bedroom. He wasn't trying to kill her or hurt her. He was trying to kill himself because he was, he was again drunk, trying to kill himself. We got up not knowing what had happened, went across the hall. My mom was five foot two, sitting on his chest. He's six foot four. She's sitting on his chest trying to wrestle that gun away from him and weeping, working to get that out of his hands so no hurt could come to anybody. Uh, I don't know how you can go through that and not see how much someone loves you, how much someone wants to help you. My, my father finally got the message. He had been in and out of treatment centers. Something went off in him one day. Uh, he, he stopped it. He stopped drinking. And one day, he walked away from it. He picked up a relationship with Christ. Uh, again, a relationship with his boys, his family again. And ended his life clean and, and free. But it was, uh, she confronted him in a number of ways. Lovingly, strong voice. But how she did that protected his uh, dignity and didn't embarrass him further. That he was already embarrassed and didn't make him feel uh, worse than what my father already felt. And I got to tell you, I went through all those emotions of, of literally hating my father. To where I finally understood why he was doing what he was doing. And it changed my heart. And then I could understand what mom, why mom took the approach that she did in trying to get him free from the cause of the alcohol to begin with. I don't know if that helps you, but... Can, can I just add to that? Because I, I was, we, obviously we weren't married during that time, but I was, Marshall and I were dating and I was in and out of their house. And, and this, I do know that that had that violent behavior with weapons continued, she would have gotten herself and the kids out of the house or she would have gotten him out of the house. That, that was a, Marshall tells that story, but that was a one-time event. This was not, this did not become a pattern. It did not become a lifestyle. Had it been a threatening situation and if you're in a threatening situation, get yourself out. Get out. Get out. There's more at play here than just them promising to do better and really wanting probably in that moment to do better. There's more at play here. And so if you ever find yourself in a violent, threatening environment, you or your children, get yourself, get your children out, and do not go back. Do not go back until something has significantly changed. Yeah. And that, again, just the way you confront is going and probably will change over time. And, and this, my mom was completely able and capable and willing to do whatever it would take to... Um, to keep us safe, but also to help her husband. And she was amazing at how she could figure the, both of those out, but she would be completely, Cindy spoke uh, rightly about mom, she would be 
completely willing to confront on whatever level uh, to make sure everybody was okay and safe. Uh, yeah, and I, I think, gosh, how, how reliant, at least for the believer, must we be uh, on the leading of the Spirit? Because, man, there's such thing, there's such thing as um, leaving too soon, and there's such thing as staying too long, right? right? So, so knowing that it's not, the answer is not always stay, right? And the answer is not always go. So sense of, and being in community, of Absolutely. course, you know, people watching out for you. Why don't we do this question? I think it's a, a good one. You guys are so wonderful for all of these questions. And uh, I'm thinking maybe, maybe next service we can focus on different questions and then we'll put both on the podcast. And so if you feel like maybe I, you asked a question and didn't get answered, might, we might be able to get to it for a second service and then we'll post both. Okay, this is a different, um, a different direction, but I think it's really good. Uh, what advice do you have for someone who has sought community time and time again only to be continually rejected. So we're talking about community. It's a great question. Go, George. Oh, okay. Um, I would say first, keep at it. I, yeah. I know that that's kind of like you're saying I've continued and continued. Well, you can't quit. You can't stop seeking that community. Um, when you stop is when you end up truly alone. Um, and I think sometimes we perceive being alone because we're not really opening ourselves up to community. And there's a personal part that we have to play in seeking community. Um, we were joking about it. I don't have a huge capacity for social. It drains me. It wears me out. And I have to be guarded in that. But I have community. And I have people I turn to and look to, and that takes work, and that takes effort on my part. And I own that responsibility of, if I feel alone, that's my own issue, because there are people all around me who would spend time with me if I would open myself up to that. So I encourage you, if, if it is a, you feel that you're being rejected, take a moment and look at yourself. Are you really, truly open to community and what that may or may not look like for you. Cause what community looks like for me and what community looks like for David are very different and that's okay. That's okay. We, they can look different. Um, but really ask yourself what it is that you're looking for. And then in addition to that, um, open yourself up to that. Um, and that can be hard and scary too. Yeah. I, Jordan, and I laugh about this t-shirt that we were seeing that says, um, I don't want to be here. I came late. Can I go home now? I'm an introvert. Um, and, and it's only partially not true. Um, and we're all, we're all made up very different. And so how we interact with people is very different. But I, I think this question, um, I think we all have to be willing to do some self-exam. On, our, on ourselves, we have to say, okay, if I really have sought community time and time again and I haven't found it, I'm the common denominator in this equation. And so it might not just be everybody else. There might actually be something in me that I need some help. I may have a blind spot, which we all have, I may have a blind spot that I need somebody that knows me and loves me can help me see. And so in community, community doesn't happen in an instant. It's, it's 
a time investment, a presence investment. Uh, it, it, takes, it takes time to develop. It isn't just an instantaneous, it was love at first sight. We're best friends forever. I just met you five minutes ago. Um, do, do some checkups on yourself because community requires an investment that, that runs both ways. And, and maybe, do you come across as a stalker? I mean, seriously, nobody wants to be best friends with a stalker. I don't know that. I, I'm just saying, find somebody that knows you and ask them some questions and let them speak in, into your life. Are you constantly complaining and critical and negative? Is, does every conversation have to be about you? Because those are things that pretty much kill community. Maybe that's not the case, Maybe it is, it's worth asking some questions and getting some input from somebody that knows you and loves you. And if somebody comes to you with that, you've got to be honest and loving enough because you'll help them. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, we, we, and we were, uh, when this question first came in, we just talked about it briefly and we were saying, it, it's, a, it's a great question because it shows both, uh, it has in it both a personal challenge and a, a corporate challenge. Right, so the, the personal challenge is just what we've been talking about. Um, those who want friends must show themselves friendly. But then we also are always, as leaders of the church, we're always having to ask ourselves: is this a place, is this a good, um, nice, warm environment for, for relationships, for friendships to naturally flourish, right? Are we doing everything that we can do um, to make that? Are, are we leading by example relationality and humility that's required to have great relationships? And so it's a great challenge, of course, for the individual, but also just for us as, as a body, you know, that people, just, just to hear that message for whatever maybe shortcomings, you know, or areas of growth they may have, just hear this too, there's people that are coming into this community seeking relationship and their opinion is that they're not finding it, right? So what a great challenge for us, just for us to go above and beyond um, corporately to show ourselves friendly uh, to the community as well. And here's just a quick thought. And again, it may or may not apply, not knowing who you are or why or what you might be up against. But um, by now it's also um, easier to give in to having this preconceived notion. That I've tried this, I've done this, I've failed at this, it's never going to happen for me. You try to bring that into a new relationship, and I guarantee you, the person you're with will pick up on that. And you're, you're in a place where you actually will, maybe you're not even conscious of it, you're already rejecting people who might have otherwise welcomed you into their community or into their life. Because they can sense that. They can sense that you're coming in a real consumer instead of a giver and someone who's generous in relationship. And there's nothing that really, I think, we uh, resist more than feeling like we're going to be used, feeling like we're going to be uh, criticized, judged, um, all of those things that, that you're going to ask so much more of me than you're willing to even give. Uh, that Those are all negatives. And I think just to maybe stop, I don't know what, how much time we have, but the, what Cindy said very quickly about finding someone in your life that you do know loves you, trusts you, and knows you, and have a good conversation with them. Because they'll, they, I think that's probably the, one of the best practical steps you can take next to just looking at it 
through the eyes of somebody else who really cares for you, loves you, knows you, and maybe even gives some good advice. Great. Uh, let me end in just a, a final thought this past. Thank you guys for the questions, incredible questions. Uh, I was reading this past week uh, through the Gospel of John. John 17 is one of my favorite places in the Gospel of John, but it's a, a place that I really love in the Bible. It's the last recorded prayer of Jesus on the earth. And, and what's amazing is that he prays for um, not just his disciples, but specifically he names all of the future followers of the way, which would mean Christianity, all of the people who have come to put their faith. So, so this is an example, Jesus' last prayer, and he's praying for us, specifically, not in a generic, the Bible applies to us. He's actually praying for the generations to come. Uh, and so I just thought it's a, a beautiful prayer, and I've got it on the, the screen. Jesus says this, my prayer is not for them alone. See, he's talking about the disciples, right? Not just for them. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message, through the message of the disciples. So that's us. Uh, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is amazing that Jesus in his last prayer recorded on earth, he would pray that all of his uh, believers through the generations would have such complete unity in a way that would cause the world to believe in him. An amazing, uh, an amazing challenge. But he talks about that we would, we would experience intimacy and unity as a family is modeled by the Trinity, right? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so I just thought it was a cool prayer, and, and I was so inspired to to come alongside Jesus in that prayer. And so I, I just reworked it a little bit. And this is, this is a prayer. I'm hoping that you would be willing, if, if the idea of unity resonates in your heart, that you'd be willing to maybe we would all pray this as we close. I'll read through it one time. Uh, but again, this is essentially Jesus' prayer, but I've changed it just a little bit to be our prayer. So here we go. Father, so I'll just read it once and then we can read it together. Father, help us be one even as you and Jesus are one. Bring us, your church, to complete unity so that the world will believe in the truth of Jesus and in your love for them. So if that's anything that resonates with you and you're, you're at a place where you're willing and you're open to partner um, in that prayer of Jesus, I always think we, we could all just read it out loud together slowly uh, and then we'll be done. Here we go. Father, help us be one even as you and Jesus are one. Bring us, your church, to complete unity so that the world will believe in the truth of Jesus and in your love for them. Amen. We know we weren't able to answer all the questions even in both services combined, but don't worry, we're working on getting answers to you soon. We are doing our very best to get all the remaining questions a response as soon as possible.